Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read down through it and then we'll review a little bit since uh, my wife ministered last week and we'll get back into this into this subject. So finally, verse 10. Verse 10, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So this tells us we're in a war. That's what I was talking about. Jesus said in this life, in this world, you will have tribulation. The Bible says elsewhere, if you're living for Him, you will be persecuted. Not might be, you will be. So if you're not being persecuted, maybe you're not living for Him fully. But the point is, you will have trouble in this life. And the reason the Bible tells us is because we're, we're on foreign territory. The Bible tells us that Satan is the God of this world. Now, you may not believe in a Satan, but God believes in him. (laughs) The Bible talks about him, and he doesn't want you to believe in him, but he's very real. He is the God of this world. Adam turned this world over to him. God gave Adam authority and responsibility in this world, certain responsibility, and in Genesis 3, Adam turned it over to Satan. Jesus came to buy it back. And he bought it back for those who come in Christ, come to Christ and join themselves to him, who get saved or born again. You've been removed from Satan's kingdom, Colossians 1.13. You were delivered out of the dominion, the domain of darkness, and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. So you not only change families, you change kingdoms. So we're members of a kingdom in a foreign land. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about us as being ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador does not serve in his homeland. An ambassador serves in a foreign land, but is a representative of his home country. And so we are ambassadors for Christ, which automatically tells us we're in foreign territory, but we're representing him, him, him there. That's where we are. If you're a Christian, that's where you are tonight. Now, this tells us that it's hostile to us, and we're in a, we're in a spiritual warfare. We've seen a number of things through this that it tells us. First of all, it tells us who the combatants are. On the one hand, there's God, because it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. On the other hand is Satan, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and heavenly. Those are Satan and his demonic forces. That's the enemy on the other side. Also, it tells us what the weapons are. It says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So God has provided for us His weapons, which it says in 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 10, are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So we've been given God's weapons, which are mighty through God. The next verse goes on to tell us what our enemy's weapons are. It's tricks, deceits, and guiles, and wiles. That's deceits, which tells us He doesn't have power over us. He has to deceive us, and He has to use tricks. But, of course, he's very good at that, and we cooperate with him all too often. The next thing we saw is that we learned that, that, that flesh and blood is not your enemy. Flesh and blood is not your enemy. Let's bring it down to where we live. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your family members are not your enemy. That nasty uncle of yours is not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. And everybody that works here said amen. (laughs) 
Your boss is not your enemy. The guy that cut you off in the traffic this morning and made you late for work, which, of course, if you left a little earlier, it wouldn't have been, is not your enemy. But Satan's wiles, his deceit, is to make you think somebody's your enemy when in reality, he's your enemy. And then we began to look at the armor that God has given to us. And we saw, first of all, there's the belt of truth. And we saw why that... And we, we talked about is essentially the armor of God, although Paul uses these terms, really is putting on God's character and God's nature. So we saw the first piece of armor is the belt of truth, and we saw why truth is so critical is because God is truth. God only deals in truth. And when we try to deal with something outside of truth, which is when we put a spin on it, when we tell that little white lie, there's no such thing as a white lie. It's either truth or it's a lie. There's no gray area, especially when they calculate your paycheck. You don't want gray areas there, do you? If you work 40 hours and you get paid so much an hour, that's what you want. And so we saw why that's so important because when we step out from truth and we start spinning things and characterizing things and describing things other than just straightforward truth, we're really stepping into the, in our enemy's arena because he uses partial truths. He uses, because that's what deception is. Deception is a partial, is a truth that's used for an untrue purpose. So just because something's true doesn't mean it's truth. The enemy uses true, a true thing, but doesn't tell you the truth about it. Everybody with me? I didn't lose anybody, did I? Okay. The second thing we saw was the breastplate of righteousness. We saw the reason that's so important is that it protects your heart. And Proverbs tell us to guard over our heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. God has designed us, and it's not our, we can't get into that in this study, but it's another complete study, that God guides us and directs us through our heart. God's written His laws in our heart if you're a Christian. And so Paul talks about your conscience guiding you, and in, 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 in the Spirit of God that's in you works through your conscience, through your spirit. And so it's so important that you protect your spirit because it is your contact with God. And so if Satan's desire is to plant, and this is what we're going to talk a little more about tonight, is to plant into your heart something, one of his weapons, so that he can get your heart just a little bit off track. Because when it's a little bit off track, it gets way off track. Which is why the writer of Hebrews warns us in Hebrews chapter 12 to, to be careful that you don't allow a root of bitterness to get sown in your heart. Because it says, out of that root of bitterness, many people will be defiled. And so it's so important to guard our hearts. And we saw that the breastplate of righteousness is what protects our heart, first of all, from, by living right. That's a popular one. By just living right before God, just doing what He says to do and don't do what He says not to do. It's really simple. And then the other side of that breastplate we saw was learning how to discern between when the Spirit of God is convicting you that you're doing something wrong and when the enemy is trying to condemn you. 
because they'll he'll tell you the same thing and he, what he may what you you may what he may be telling you is something you're doing wrong but his underlying message again is not truth it's to tear you down and so we talked about those differences so these are all part of god righteousness is part of god's nature truth is part of god's nature and then the next last thing we've been looking at is the preparation of the of the of, of putting on your shoe, feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we saw it's first of all peace with God. That the feet, if the feet are not at peace, if your feet are not comfortable, because all of this is in the context of warfare, of in a fight. And so if your if your feet are not comfortable, if they're not solidly underneath you, you're not in a very strong position in a battle. And so peace is the essential element to making sure that you're stable and strong in the warfare that you're in. So one of the things the enemy is going to try to do is steal your peace. He can't steal it if you don't give it to him. He cannot steal something God's given you. Jesus said, my peace I give you. And since you don't, you belong to his kingdom and God's given you his peace... Nobody can take it away from you. Oh, they can taunt you and give you an opportunity to give it up. But nobody can take your peace away from you. They can, they can give you an occasion to let go of it. But they can't take it from you. And so we saw, first of all, it's your peace with God. Because if you don't know you're at peace with God, you can't deal with anything else. Because He is the foundation on which we stand. And the next thing we saw was peace with one another. And of course, the third thing is just peace with yourself. But I want to move on tonight to the next piece of armor. So we're going to go down now. Let's read on down. Verse 13, Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, or the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, Having shot or put on your feet the preparation or the foundation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, Above all. Everybody say, above all. Above. Say it again. Above, above all. That means more than these things, I need the next piece. Taking up the shield of faith with which you are, will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And this is the one I wanted to get to. Because this is what I see happening in people's lives. And this is the battle that I go through sometimes. We're living in very difficult times, very challenging times. Now, I grew up in the 50s and the 60s. Well, the 60s got kind of tumultuous, but I grew up as a child in the 50s. And the, and, and the 50s were this, you know, it was one of those things, lever to beaver, you know, and, you know, life, you know, father knows best. And, you know, I, life wasn't like that, but you didn't have, I didn't have to grow up dealing with the stuff our kids have to grow up with. We didn't live in a world that was like this world. We lived in a world that was much tamer. Obviously, there were problems. Obviously, there was sin. Obviously, people were doing things wrong. But we lived in a culture. We lived with a culture that had moral standards, and it had a belief system that may not, may not be Christian, but at least it supported that. It was going in that same direction. And, and now we live in a culture that's going the exact opposite direction. We lived in a time, you know, when we had, there were institutions you could count on. I mean, if the stock market moved up one or two points, it was <gasps> like this. Nowadays, it, it's, you know, it moves up two or three hundred points and nobody bats an eyelash at it. 
And so, so things are very different now than they were. And the result is that the, the life is not more peaceful. It's interesting. With all the more technology we have, with all the more scientific understanding we have, with all the more insight and all the more gadgets and communication skills we have, life is not easier, it's harder. Life is not more peaceful and restful, it's more disturbed and it's more, it's more turmoil. And I don't see people at more peace. I remember when I, uh, we moved to Oklahoma back in, the, in, in 1980, and I left my law practice in a large firm in Boston. And we came back, it was a five or six years later, and I was driving downtown to meet somebody. And I started looking and, and realized, what's, what, what's going to be the difference? Well, the first difference was, I noticed, that the, the, the traffic reports were now 24 hours a day. When you've got to have traffic board reports at 2 in the morning, <laughs> that's not a good sign. And then the other thing I began to notice is I look at people's faces. I didn't see anybody was happy. I didn't see anybody look peaceful. They all had the same dead look on their face, like no hope. And the culture had changed. And I remember talking with a lawyer that I'd worked with for years, and he said, it's not, it's not fun anymore. There's just no joy here anymore. Things, and, this, and I'm talking now about 25 years ago. It hasn't gotten better. So life has become more difficult, more challenging. And in these last few years, it's even gotten more challenging because we see banks failing. We see, this, we see the, 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 the massive questions of what to do. What are we going to do with, the, with our economy? What are we going to do with unemployment? All these issues we've had before, but it's becoming clearer and clearer that there's nobody out there that's in office that really knows what they're doing or knows what to do about it. And now we have 24-hour news on about 24 channels, constantly telling you all the bad news, 24 hours a day, and they tell you, they got somebody on there telling it to you, they got a banner going across the bottom, so if you're not getting this bunch of bad news, you're getting three or three inputs of bad news, and that's just that channel. And some of them will have four screens up. We're getting bombarded with all this stuff, all this bad news, and people are getting discouraged and wonder why. And wonder why. Behind that, there is a spiritual enemy. And his goal, his goal is to get into your heart and to steal the word of God. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13 the parable of the sower. It says that God is the husbandman. He's the farmer. The seed that's sown is the word of God. And the soil is your heart, the condition of your heart. And Satan is the one that comes to steal that word sown in your heart. So the point is this. Your enemy, this is the first time we see a weapon of the enemy discussed in, this, in these passages. And notice what he talks about. He said that you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. I was meditating on this this afternoon. I've got this picture of an old movie and these old movies where you've got, you know, you've got an army that's, 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 that's under siege by another army. And so they've locked themselves up inside the stockade with the, with the walls around it and they're, they're hiding back in there and they're trying to get ready to, to, to repel the enemy that's going to come over the wall. But the enemy decides, they look at that wall with all the sharp points on top and decide that's not smart. So what they've decided to do is instead of trying to climb the wall, they go get their arrows or they use catapults 
and they dip them in oil or something, light them, and then they shoot them over the wall and they land on the rooftops of the buildings inside the fort. They don't have to come through the wall. They don't have to climb the fence. They shot a flaming arrow over because wherever that flaming arrow strikes, it's going to spread the flame and cause destruction. And so the image here is your enemy, who doesn't have to get close to you to do this, is shooting at you flaming arrows. Not just arrows, flaming darts, some translations say, but they're flaming arrows. And the goal is not just for the arrow to hit you, but when it hits you, to set you on fire. Now, we're not talking about burning your body up. We're talking about all of his weapons that are designed to get you upset, to get you out of your peace. Because remember, if you can stay at peace with God, with one another, and with yourself, you're on solid ground to fight the enemy, to resist him, and then with the other weapons we're going to talk about, to go after him. But the enemy wants to steal your peace. And the way he does it is to shoot flaming darts at you because if one of those darts sticks in you, it will begin to cause you to get enraged or upset or emotional, in essence, to get in your flesh. Turn with me to James chapter 4. And I'll give you an example. It's all throughout the New Testament. Actually, some of it's in the Old Testament too. Excuse me, James chapter 3. talking here about stumbling and, 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 uh, uh, and the issues that we fight with. Well, let's start in verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Isn't that exciting? Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. That's my favorite scripture. Yeah, right. <laughs> it makes me shudder sometimes. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble, that's not an excuse, by the way, for stumbling. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect, that means mature man, also able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth, and they obey us, and we turn their whole body. We also look at ships, and this is they are large and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So he's using the example here that, the, that you can take these huge ocean liners, and all, all they've got to do is turn the helm a little bit, and because the rudder turns a little bit, it turns this massive ocean liner or massive ship. It doesn't take much to do it, to turn it. In the same way, verse 5, the tongue is a little member. It's one of the smallest parts of your body. It's a little member, but it boasts of great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. He's talking about what your, what your tongue can do to people or yourself. Now, I know none of you have ever had this experience. But just in case you know somebody that ever got into a moment of intense fellowship, maybe with their spouse. I know you're all so holy that never would have happened to you. But if you ever find, found yourself in that, there's a point where one of you says something 
and your, the other's flesh just rises up and words begin to come to your mouth to say back to them, to either hurt or to kind of poke back at them. And there's a moment where you have a choice to make, whether you open this or you keep it closed. Because if you open it, you're going to take this conflict to another level. You know, it's very difficult for somebody to maintain an argument by themselves. It's very difficult if somebody comes up to you to start an argument and you don't answer them. It's frustrating. They want to pick a fight with you and you just smile at them. They'll really get mad at you, but you can't, you're not in an argument because it's hard to argue if somebody isn't adding fuel to the fire. So those opening words kindle a little fire, but that's only going to grow if you in turn add fuel to that fire. But if you both get going and adding fuel to that fire, that little spark will turn into a bonfire. And that's what he's talking about here. And it's all done with that little member that rests between your uppers and your lowers. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Oh, that's exciting. So not only are you, when you think you are sharing that piece of your mind with your friend or spouse, and you're really getting back at them, what you're really doing is defiling yourself. Defiles the whole body and sets on, sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire, look at this, by where? Hell. So when you let your mouth loose on somebody, guess what's behind it? What's it say? It's set on fire by hell. Remember what we're talking about, spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare has on one side God, but on the other side is Satan, hell. And that's what he's talking about here. Almost everything that happens to you is some aspect of spiritual warfare. And how you respond or react to it, either you're contributing to God's side in that warfare or you're contributing to the enemy's side in that warfare. Almost nothing you do has no consequences. Your words have consequences. Whether you feel those consequences now or not, they have consequences. Whether there's anybody that hears them. Verse 7, For every kind of beast, a bird, a reptile, a creature of the sea is tamed and maintained. Let's go on down to um, verse 13. Still, Still talking about the same subject. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have, we're talking about fiery darts now, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. So if there's envy, some translations say jealousy. If there's envy or jealousy that's rising up in you, first of all, we see where it came from. It came from hell. I'm going to show you that also here. If you have bitter envy or self-seeking or jealousy in your heart, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, envy, jealousy, and strife, does not descend from above, 
but it's earthly, sensual, that means of the flesh, and you ready for this? Demonic. Some translations say it's doctrines of demons. So envy, how did they get that? I've been a Christian, I've been standing in the Word of God longer than they have. How did they get in that position? I know things about them. If they knew that, they wouldn't have put them in that position or whatever it may be. It is from hell. It is a weapon and it is a doctrine of demons. But see, it feels good, doesn't it? I mean, not in here. It just feels good to the flesh. It's like it stores up for you a while and somebody just says the wrong thing and it all comes pouring out. And it feels good to vent ourselves. But the only part of you it feels good to is your flesh because you're feeding it. Your flesh is selfish. It's not redeemed yet. Your spirit's redeemed. It's been born again in God's image. Your mind is up to you whether you've transformed it by the renewing of it. Romans 12, 2 says we are transformed or changed by the renewing of our mind. That's your job. God changed your nature. Your job and my job is to take this word and reprogram this computer to start thinking in these terms, not in the terms that our flesh want to seek. But your flesh is going to side with the devil every time until you teach it to get underneath you. I talk to my flesh. See, you're not your flesh. You don't, if you're born again, you don't have to do what your flesh is telling you to do. Now, we don't like that sometimes because it takes all the excuses. Well, you don't understand. We're just human. No, you're not. Paul talks to the church at Corinth and says, you're acting like just humans because they were envious, jealous, and in strife. So we're not supposed to act like just humans. In fact, you know who we're supposed to act like? Jesus. I'm going to show you some scriptures in a moment that say we're to put Him on. That's what the armor of God is. It's putting Him on. The reason you can put Him on is you've already got Him on the inside. I went to the closet tonight to put this suit on. The only reason I could put this suit on and not your suit is I had this suit in the closet. It, already, it was already mine, but I had to choose to put it on. You have His nature in you. Romans 5.5 5 says the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God is in you to produce the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 6. Five, the fruit of the Spirit is His God's nature coming to the outside of you. And that happens by your changing the way you think and learning to think in accordance with your nature and this Word and not to think in line with your flesh. Your mind is designed by God to either serve your spirit or to serve your flesh, to figure out how to carry out the will of one or the other. Your mind cannot act independent. You may think it is, but if you think your mind's acting independently, then I can tell you it's working to support your flesh. Because your mind was designed by God to carry out the instructions that it gets. 
either of your flesh or of your spirit. Now, God didn't design it to carry out the instructions of your flesh. But when Adam sinned, and then when we've sinned, we submitted ourselves under that authority, and therefore our flesh has that tendency to sin. Have you ever noticed that? If you leave it alone, if you don't spend time in the Word, and you don't spend time with God, it just sort of tends to go, it's like a car wheels that are out of alignment. It just goes right off into a ditch. And you've got to keep bringing it back in. Now, the enemy doesn't just step back and watch you in this struggle and say, gee, I hope they don't win this struggle. He's actively involved in trying to trip you up and get you to stumble. Now, let's go, uh, let's go to Romans 13. We'll take a little bit of time in this because this is, where, this is where we live. This is where the rubber hits the road. Romans chapter 13. Verse, uh, let's start in verse, well, let's go to verse 11. We'll probably get into this Sunday. And do this knowing the time now is of high time to wake out of the sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent, and the day is at hand. Therefore, because of that, because of the time in which we're in, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not reveling in drunkenness, nor in lewdness and lust, not in, not in strife or envy. Instead, what we're to do, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh. Now, here's the image. We're in a warfare. And on this over here is you or me. And we've taken our position because we're in a spiritual war. Most Christians don't even know they're in a war, and they're just kind of walking around, and they're getting shot at, hit with flaming darts, and all the works of the, and they don't understand why things are going wrong. They just think it's the boss, it's their spouse, they think it's just the circumstances of life. Oh, woe is me, I just, my lot in life, it's my, my background, my nationality, it's whatever it is, all these excuses. I don't read those in there. I don't see a footnote in here in my Bible. Let me just check here. No, I don't see a footnote that says, except if I'm Italian or if I'm Portuguese or if I was from the wrong side of the tracks or my parents didn't treat me correctly. And I understand what that's like. That, that does cause harm, but, but we use all those things as excuses for our flesh. Let's be really honest because we're talking about truth. We use all that stuff as an excuse for our flesh. Well, you don't understand. I'm not talking about what I understand. You're saying God doesn't understand. One of you's wrong. I don't bet. But if I did, I can tell you where the money is. So you got this warfare going on. And so you, you're, we're standing over here. Those of us now that are awake and really, oh, wait a minute. I'm getting shot out here. There's an enemy trying to slow me down and stop the will of God on my life. 
you got the, the Satan over here, because remember, he's a coward. He's not going to come right up against you. He's over here shooting arrows at you, flaming arrows. So we're standing over here, and we're trying to, you know, we hear the Word of God, and I know you've experienced this. You go to a service, or you open your Bible, and God shows you something, and you're full of hope and confidence, and you either on the way out of here, <laughs> somebody looks at you the wrong way, or, or the next day at work, or something happens, and somebody crosses you the wrong way, and you get all mad and upset, and you, have no, you don't see the connection between the two. That enemy's trying to get you distracted from focusing on him. He's trying to get you distracted from carrying out the will of God. Do you understand? We're all here on an assignment. Every one of us has an assignment from God. And the enemy knows you have that assignment better than you know you have that assignment. And he's trying to, he couldn't stop you from getting saved. He couldn't stop God's call in your life. But what he can do is distract you from carrying it out. And the Bible tells us that there's no weapon that he has that's not common to man. It's 1 Corinthians 10.13. He doesn't have a weapon that's not common to all of us. It goes on to say, but with it, God will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So he's shooting fiery darts at you. So you're walking along, you're just walking in the love and peace of God, you've just come out of Sunday morning service, just so inspired, oh, I want to serve God, I want to love Him, and boom, you get hit. Somebody says something to you. Well, you know, I can handle that. I can keep going. And then somebody crosses you and, you know, you you go to the restaurant. And it takes them 10 minutes to come and ask you one to drink. Boom! You get hit over here. You know, and see, these are small things at first, so I can handle it. I can handle it because you don't recognize it is a weapon of Satan that if left unattended, will, the fire will begin to kindle and it will begin to grow. Did you ever say something to somebody and it seemed kind of innocent to you and they just explode all over you? You know, most fights don't have anything to do with the actual issue at hand. It's all kinds of other things that have built up over a period of time and it's the last thing and boom, you get this atomic explosion. And you go, whoa, where did that come from? Either coming out of you or out of somebody that you're relating to. Because these darts have been in there simmering and simmering and simmering until all of a sudden, whoosh, they explode and Satan just smiles and lets you burn up and burn other people around you, all operating in his area now we're, now we're operating on his side of the battle, in, the, in, in his enemy's camp, in God's camp, harming and hurting our fellow soldiers. It's kind of like being in a real war, where a bullet comes in, and instead of shooting back at the enemy, you shoot the guy next to you. Because a bullet came in. Hey, somebody's shooting at me. Boom! You shoot your, your guy in the foxhole next to you. Another one comes in. Boom! You shoot another guy in the foxhole. 
That's what we're doing. I'm going to tell you a secret. If you promise not to tell anybody that didn't come tonight. All right? Okay. We're all on the same side. We're all on the same side. I'm not your enemy as much as you may think I am. You're not my enemy. We're all on the same side. He's our enemy. Why are we shooting each other and ourselves? We're making his job easier. But see, if you don't understand you're in a warfare, you think the see the issue's not the issue you think it is is not the issue. Because remember, he's a deceiver. It's like a pickpocket or a con artist. The issue that they bring in front of you is never what they're after. He's not trying to show you what's wrong with your spouse or your neighbor or somebody like that. He's not trying to show you what's wrong with them. He's trying to get you in strife. Do you notice God doesn't care so much about which one of you is right in the discussion? He doesn't command you to be right. He commands us to love one another. So you've got the enemy shooting these fiery darts at you. And what we do is we just take them. And it may not even be strife. It can be you get up in the morning, you know, you, your Bible somewhere, you don't remember where it is. You get your cup of coffee, you go in and you sit down, you know, get your coffee, you turn on CNN. And it's full of all kinds of exciting good news. So you don't like that? So you go to Fox News. Well, that's going to be a little bit... No, it's just they're all, they're all discussing... Do you know how opinions these people have? They're professional. They're people that are professionally going on TV giving opinions. Why are they an expert? Why do we think they know? I don't want to get on this soapbox. But, we, but my point is we're sitting there, you know... First thing is getting in our eye gate. The first thing is getting in our ears is all this stuff. Well, I've got to be informed. Yeah, maybe so. But how well are you going to handle that information on your own that's getting in you? None of it. Now, what's the spirit that's behind it? Remember, there's a warfare going on. What spirit is behind it? Is this spirit encouraging you? Is it building confidence and hope? Is it, is, it, is it strengthening you? Or is it weakening you and tearing you down and taking your hope away? Which is it doing? Because which do you want? Do you want your hope stolen? Do you want your future stolen? Or do you want to go into your day strong with your shoulders back and your head up and a sense of victory in you? You're most likely not going to find that on TV. And I'm sorry to say that most likely not even on Christian TV. And even if you find it on Christian TV, there's no substitute for getting it from here yourself. Now, having said that, God has provided a piece of armor to protect you. Above all, taking the shield of what? Faith. Faith. Because when you put up that shield of faith, the fiery darts don't hit you. They hit the shield of faith. And it says it extinguishes the fire. 
So if you've got your shield of faith up, now when the enemy fires at you, that, first of all, the dart doesn't get to you. It gets stuck in your shield instead of stuck in you. Secondly, it not only gets stuck in the shield, but the shield is made of asbestos, so it puts out the fire. Because if the shield didn't put out the fire, now you're holding a bunch of fire in your hand. So it stops the dart from hurting you, and it puts the fire out. And I believe this is why the Scripture says, above all. Because you can do the rest of this, but if the fiery darts get in, it will be, the fire will begin to, 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 to grow in you. And I don't care how much peace you're in, you'll lose your peace. I don't care what the rest of the what are, that you will begin to destroy you. You need all the parts of the armor, all the character of God. But here, see, see, there was a teaching a while ago, well, not a teaching, but there was a, uh, uh, some people going around says, well, you know, the, the, the period, you know, there's been different periods in the church. We had a, we had a, a healing revival in the, in the 50s and the beginning of the 60s. We had a charismatic revival in the 60s and 70s. And we had kind of a word of faith revival in the, in the 80s and, and a teaching revival. And then I've heard people say, well, faith, you know, we're now, we're now in a different phase. We're not in the phase of faith. The problem is the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible says we're saved by faith, by grace, received through faith. So faith, God is a God of faith. Because if it weren't, he'd have given up on us a long time ago. You and I are the greatest evidence he's a God of faith. Because faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God keeps speaking things over you He hasn't seen yet, and over me too. So this shield of faith is critical, because all these darts we're talking about, you don't have to be afraid of them. You don't have to even worry where they're coming from. You don't even have to notice them if you've got your shield up, because your shield's designed to take care of them. You don't need to take care of them. See, your focus is not on the darts. Your focus is not to be saying, oh, I wonder where the next dark's coming from. As long as you got your shield up, it doesn't matter where the dark's coming from because you're, you're not going to be hit. In fact, if the shield's up, you won't even know the dark came because it'll go away. It'll be extinguished and it won't touch you. So it seems to me this must be pretty important, especially since Paul says, above all, take up. The shield of faith. Now again, we're talking about in the context of a battle. And these battles, the one he's referring to, were hand-to-hand combat. And so, and, and, and what we've been learning is that the armor of God is literally putting him on. And we just read that in here, because what he says here in verse 14, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you put on his armor, armor you're putting him on. And so he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on your armor and make no provision for the flesh. See, when you got the armor on, Satan doesn't have access to your flesh. See, his design is to poke your flesh. You're trying, with the power of the Holy Spirit, to keep your flesh under control. He's trying to get it stirred up. So you're reading your Bible, you're getting at peace, 
You know, you're, you're, you know, you're looking at somebody that's trying to start a fight with you and you smile at them and you say, love you, I'm going to pray for you and all this. And while you're doing that, thoughts are bombarding your mind saying, they did this last year. They're getting away with something. If I don't do, if I don't put them down, they're going to hurt stuff. All this stuff. And that's the enemy trying to fire darts at you while you're trying to control your flesh. He wants to stir your flesh up because the only avenue he has at you is through your flesh. We've talked before about when you're dealing with somebody that's a deceiver or a con artist, the best offense is to know what he's after. So that if I'm out in an area where there's a lot of people and they're bumping up against each other, where the thought occurs to me, well, there could be a pickpocket here. I'm not looking around to see who may be the pickpocket. I kind of keep my hand on my wallet because I know that's what he's after. I don't need to worry if he bumps up against me or doesn't bump. If I've got my hand on my wallet then that's what he's after, not something else. So when you understand what Satan's after, you won't get distracted by all the stuff he throws at you so that you'll be distracted, and what he's after is your flesh. It's the only thing he got. He can't get at your spirit. He's after your flesh to get it all stirred up by feeling sorry for yourself, by getting an angry, be envious. He doesn't care what it is, as long as he gets you in your flesh. So we've got this armor. So when, when, when there's a part of us that isn't covered, it's as if there's a part of you sticking out. Now, when I grew up watching football, you know, the NFL and things like that, they all wore these big, bulky jerseys, you know. But a number of years ago, they started wearing these nylon jerseys that were tight. You ever notice if you wear those, they're tight. And before they did that, what they were doing is they would tie them up in the back because they dawned on them when they got a loose jersey, the guy, guy trying to tackle them just has to grab the jersey. So they figured what I'm going to do is give him less to, listen to me carefully, I'm going to give him less to get a hold of. So they started by tying the jerseys up in the back so that they weren't loose, so they, they couldn't get a hold of them. And then they just made jerseys that were like that. So they're this tight nylon so that there's nothing, you can't get a hold of the jersey. Ready for this? John 14, verse 30, Jesus talking to his disciples says, And I will no longer talk much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Now listen to this. And he has nothing in me. In other words, the way I've walked, he has nothing he can get a hold of me. There was none of his flesh sticking out. Now, I've taught you before, and I went over this again on Sunday, that it's interesting in Luke's account of the gospel, that when Jesus came down to the Jordan River at 30 years of age, and he was baptized in the river, the Bible tells us that he was then filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing the Spirit of God does to him is lead him in the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. And as I talked about on Sunday, and you've heard me say before, what a strange thing for the Holy Spirit to do is to take the Son of God and lead him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. What in the world does he want to test the the Son of God about? And this is what I believe it is, is that the Son of God had never worn flesh before. Because God doesn't live in flesh. He's a spirit. And flesh, as you well know, presents its own set of problems. Now, the flesh he had did not have the tendency to sin, but it was capable of it. 
And so I believe he was learning how to handle that flesh under the guidance now of the Spirit of God that was in him. We're not going to have time tonight to get into it. But Galatians chapter 5 talks about this process, about walking in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires or lusts of the flesh. And that's where the battle is. And he was learning under the pressure and temptation of Satan to get him in his flesh, to not yield to his flesh, instead to yield to the Holy Spirit. And that was preparation, because then he returned in the power of the Spirit, because his flesh was controlled. And the ultimate attest of that, of course, happens then, three and a half years later, in the garden, when he's wrestling with whether he was going to go to the cross or not. And you know Satan was there, pressuring him, talking to him. And all of humanity held in the balance of the choice that he made. And the fact that he had learned to control his flesh day in and day out is what allowed him to handle it under that ultimate test. And so exactly, thank God. So when he says that the, that the enemy is coming, but he has nothing in me, Jesus was saying, see, but see, what did Jesus do? He said, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. In other words, I put my father on. See, Jesus wore the armor of God, but he wore it fully and he wore it all the time. And the result is, when the enemy came to fire darts at him, I mean, you've got to realize what's happened to him. He has got a staff person that's lived with him for over three years, that's been his treasurer, has now gone and taken some of the treasury money and sold him out. And he's going to come and he's going to betray him with a kiss of a friend. You know, you could get offended over that without a whole lot of work. Especially when you've got Satan himself standing over you, talking to you. No wonder he sweated as if it were great drops of blood. No wonder his soul was in tremendous torment. Matthew's account said three times he had to go back into prayer. This was not an easy choice for him. Tremendous spiritual warfare. But he was able to come through it because he had kept that armor on. He had walked in truth. He had walked in righteousness. He walked in peace. He walked in fellowship with his father. And he only did what he saw his father doing. And he only said what his father said. And as a result, when the tempter came, when he came to get a hold of some part of him that was Jesus and not the father, there was nothing to get a hold of. And the question is, when the enemy comes to get a hold of something that's a part of you that's not yet submitted to him, that's what he can get a hold of. So the good news is, is when you find out, he caught me in that area. Now you found out part of you that doesn't belong to him yet. And what God's training me in now is when pressure, when an attack comes, Instead of trying to handle it and ask God to help me, is to draw up, it's the only way to describe it, to draw up into Him. See, you've already been joined to Him. He's already in you. You're one with Him in the Spirit. Now we're to put Him on. 
which means I am to act in this situation the way he would act. And I am to think about this situation the way he would think about it. Well, what is that? That's why you've got to get in here and find out what he'd do and what he'd think about it. But I'll tell you a secret to to looking so you don't have to go through 1,700 pages. If you just walk in love, if you just walk in love, I don't mean human love. I mean the love of God that's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. If you read that, especially in the Amplified, and you start doing that, then you are putting on Christ because He is love. And when you do that, you drive Satan up a wall. There's nothing he can get a hold of in you. And he's, there's no place that his dart can get around that armor and touch you. And then you become a threat to him. This is important. That's why we're going to take our time on it. Because I didn't get into the faith aspect of this, but I'm trying to create this, paint this picture for you of understanding what's going on in your life. There is an enemy... Satan, now it's not Satan himself, it's demonic forces shooting fiery darts at you. Whether it's strife or envy or jealousy or whether it's discouragement or whether, whatever it may be. But if it's not of God, it's a fiery dart and the purpose of it is, is to set you on fire. Not for God, on fire for the enemy. To destroy you and then destroy other people around you. Because you'll do it with this thing, with your mouth. Because we just let our mouth run. When we, get, when we lose control of our flesh, we let this thing run. And that's what James was talking about in chapter 3, about the tongue. And the tongue is set, set nature on fire. So we're going to learn, we're going to learn how to put on this, this, how to pick up this shield of faith. Not only will it keep those things off of you, but it will keep discouragement. It will keep condemnation. You ready for this one? If that weren't enough, it will keep fear off of you. How would you like to go through the rest of your life without being afraid? Fear is a fiery dart of the enemy. Fear paralyzes us. Fear causes our mind to shrink down small. Fear causes us to hold back. And as a result, we can't hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us because we're closed up like this inside. And some of us have dealt with fear so much, have had fear so much in our life, it's it's second nature to us and we don't even know what it is. But it's a weapon of the enemy that once you begin to put this shield up, you'll find out he can't make you afraid. Fear is not a natural part of life. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's what God puts in you. And that's what the enemy is after with his fiery darts. And next week we'll learn what this shield of faith is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that you've made provision for us. And so we come and thank you, Lord, that although that you're awakening us to understanding this war that we're in, this battle that we're in in our lives, and that we now have realizing that you've given us your very self to protect us from all the tricks and all the deceits and all the weapons of the enemy. And we thank you for that. So we ask you, Father, to continue to open the eyes of our understanding 
so that we may understand this armor that you've given to us, that we may no longer be casualties of this warfare, but instead that we take our place as victors, as conquerors, as more than conquerors, through Christ who loves us. Thank you that your word says Jesus Christ always leads us in triumph. And we thank you for that victory that you've won for us already. In Jesus' name, amen.